0: at the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens. It's Cofield and Company.
1: Back here, Silver 7's live on a Thursday. Let's bring in Michael Felder, our college football expert. His spot is brought to you by Crazy Horse 3 and the Silver and Black After Party. Let's give away two tables right now. VIP treatment. Ari's got your hookup. Caller 7 and 8, 364-1100. You'll get a table, a bucket, or a bottle, and free entry for four to the Silver and Black After Party at Crazy Horse 3 after the Raiders game this week. Alright, Michael Felder, speaking of partying, I saw Lane Kiffin was getting on the fans for not coming back for the second half during home games.
2: Is this really a problem what's this what's the Ole Miss slogan we may not win the game but we've never lost a party <laughs> so that's kind of their culture listen I you're talking to someone that went to UNC our fans show up late and leave early that's that's <laughs> that's been that's been an issue the whole entire time our fans show up late and they leave early and you look at Ole Miss and you look at their home games and they're still getting you know what are they getting? they're getting, getting around 60 every every game like if you're getting 60 to vault Hemingway to play to watch you play Tulsa, you're doing all right. But I think that Ole Miss is an interesting team. They're four 0 as well. And I get it. Lane wants them to show up, especially this weekend. They host Kentucky. And this is a, this is a, this is a conflict of styles where Kentucky is a team that we know wants to be kind of rough and tumble, same as Utah. And uh, I think they took that Utah blueprint and that's how they beat Florida. And they want to continue to do that. And so for me watching, This game is going to be an Ole Miss team that wants to go fast. That's really slim. They, they, they're, 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 that team is, they're like a bunch of, uh, what, whippets or greyhounds out there. (laughs) Yeah. Running around. Yeah. Salukis, if you will. Shout out to Southern Illinois. There you go. Um, and then in Kentucky, is they just got a bunch of like Rottweilers and Pitbulls, and we'll see which style prevails. This is going to be, I think this is going to be one of the best games of the weekend.
1: What a freaking schedule this week. I mean, there's so many good yeah. matchups inside of seven-point spreads. Uh, one of those games is not Florida, but I know Florida impressed you from the Anthony Richardson standpoint last week against Tennessee. They're going to play Eastern Washington. The Hurricanes pushed the game to Sunday. But where are you right now in the Gators?
2: I I, I don't love the team, but I like that Richardson is growing. Okay. I think that Napier has also shown some positivity as a coach where – he realized let's let's go through the games right we got Utah we got Kentucky and then we got USF they didn't really throw the ball past 10 12 yards in that in those games and then against Tennessee they decided to stretch the ball out and they stretched the ball out and Richard showed he could do it he's still inaccurate a lot he's still indecisive a lot but he has shown an ability to find you know Keon Zipper down the field or Justin Shorter down the field and that's going to be what makes them a little more dangerous now Everything comes almost exclusively on rolls to the right. But he does have the ability to push the ball down the field. And if you can push the ball down the field, you can loosen things up in the run game. And I think that's can be, that can be a thing that makes him better.
1: Michael Felder with us. Add in the bleachers on Twitter. He's a Learfield podcaster, College Sports Now. Hand in the dirt. All right. Georgia's 28 at Missouri. Before we get to the game, we got to address what happened last week. Missouri at uh, Auburn. Taking on Auburn. Um, the whatever they were calling, a the thicker kicker. I hate playing for field goals, and then the Cardinal Sin for running backs and receivers and quarterbacks. Don't extend the ball at the goal line.
2: Yeah, we saw that happen a couple times over the weekend, and I don't know if he had sweat on the glove or his hands are a little small, but that thing just came right out. Like it wasn't it wasn't a like a Ray Ray McLeod at Clemson where he kind of dumped the ball beforehand or even like I think Deshaun Jackson did that as well. No, Deshaun Jackson did the The flip and then didn't make it – or the dive and didn't make it all the way to the end zone. But this wasn't a celebratory thing. This was – I'm scoring, I'm scoring. We need this touchdown. And he went to reach the ball out. And as he went to reach the ball out, the ball just came straight out of his hands. No chop. Nobody hit it. It just came flying out of his hands. I feel terrible for him, honestly. I feel so bad for that young man. And I feel like, man – that had that's that's one of those things and I don't and you know this I don't often agree with the idea that things happen to you but I think that thing did happen to him and it stinks cuz it's such a bad spot to be in when you have a game that you're about to win and you can't get it done so uh for me I just I go I go shout out to him like he he uh, like, how sick do you think he feels about, like, not being able to get that ball into the end zone when perfect play, Nathaniel Pete, perfect play. They block. It parts like the Red Sea. He's faster. He gets there. And then all of a sudden, the ball just comes out. That's a tough loss to Auburn uh for Mizzou. So, uh, we'll see how they rebound this week. Um, I don't think it's going to be pretty, if we're being honest. I think George is also, you don't think, do you, do you, let me ask you this. You think Georgia's a little embarrassed about their last weekend too? It's
1: a good point. So while, you know, Missouri could be pissed off, you can actually use a, a close win against a lesser opponent as motivation. So this could be double trouble for Missouri.
2: Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. Georgia uh, I think Kent State and I think I'm right now I've got let me look at the date. 11/12. So November 12th, I've got that circled because that's when Georgia plays Tennessee. And Kent State did a lot of, I don't know if you guys are paying attention in the game, but they did a lot of wide splits that forced Georgia to declare man versus zone and what type of zone. And that's what Tennessee does as well. So I'm very curious to see what that looks like with a little bit of better athlete.
1: Alabama, Arkansas. We like Pittman. Do we like him enough to take 17 and a half against Bama?
2: I, I don't know. I, I'm of two minds here. I think that Arkansas is they feel embarrassed and frustrated with what happened obviously with the 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 Texas A&M game. But at the same time I think Alabama is about to go on the warpath. And that's that's a little scary. The idea that this is a team that just decided, "Yeah, we had played a close game against Texas, but now we're locked in." And you mentioned that we mentioned it obviously with Georgia and Kent State. Yeah. I think Alabama's already been locked in and they are I mean, let's look at the look at these numbers. I mean, sixty three against Louisiana Monroe, fifty something against Vandy. Like they put they put Vandy in a body bag, and they are running the ball at a clip that is impressive. And I know that for Arkansas, the worry for them. I, I do radio in Arkansas every single every every other Wednesday, and they're worried about the passing defense. What do we do with Bryce Young? What do we do with these wide receivers? But I'm like, hey man. You guys better, um, ball your fist up because Alabama's going to try to shove the football down your throat on the ground. And that's going to be the part that I'm interested in. If they can, if Arkansas can start, can stop the run and find a way to get to the passer, we're looking at a game that probably plays under that 17 and a half number. But if Arkansas can't stop this rushing attack, whoo, buddy. Watch out.
1: Michael Felders with us. He's got his uh, weekly bulletin for hard downs. Tell people where they can get that.
2: You can check it out at it'sfelder, it's Felder dot bulletin dot com. Yeah. We every week we do four hard downs and then just kind of get into the things that surprised me over the weekend. Obviously we talked Tennessee and Florida this week. I gave you a recipe for a fish sandwich, I know. you know, cause I saw that. we, we love, listen, my family <laughs> loves the ladies man and the every time man. Leon Phelps goes same old, same old Leon Phelps genius. So we love it. Um, but no, we got, we got a bunch of stuff and, uh, over in the premium, we talked about UNC and how to fix a defense. And I think that's going to be one of the interesting things over the course of the season for a lot of college football fans, Cofield, because we're seeing these defenses make mistakes constantly. And I just don't know if you can fix those mistakes starting with UNC, but going to Texas. We talked about NC. We talked about, um, um, whose team's passing. We talked about their passing defense. Like there, there's all these teams that just have, they've got to figure it out and. I'm very curious to see how teams work to address concerns because we're, this is week five. We're, we're a third of the way through the season. If you haven't fixed it now, I don't know if it's going to get fixed.
1: I like how you uh, transition back to football. I wasn't done with the food yet. Well, you, 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 uh, you mentioned a Wednesday farewell party because you're moving from Chicago yes. back to North Carolina. What is a low country boil?
2: So we did a low country bowl and it is basically it's, you get a little bit of, we get A and Dewey. The sausage, we do shrimp, we do corn, we do potatoes, red red skin potatoes, and you throw those bad boys in a pot, you boil it up, and then you just basically dump it out all onto the table. (laughs) Everybody eats. You eat with your hands, and you got you know there's trash cans all over. We got napkins everywhere, but we did that with some seasoning in there, and you're ready to rock and roll. So that was that was very it was fun. My whole my neighborhood came out for it. Oh wow! Most of them had never had one before. Uh, it's a big thing. In low country refers to the low country of South Carolina, where you get great great fresh shrimp and great sweet corn, and you put all those things in the pot together, and you're ready to rock and roll.
1: If I were a neighbor, I'd be like, you can't leave, man. You can't leave. Uh, also in 4 Hard Downs, you talked about the Pac-12 network. I want you to mention what you were saying about the Pac-12 network, and then we can transition to Oregon State in a bounce-back spot. This is really interesting against Utah. They're getting 10.
2: I love I absolutely love the Pac-12 Network. Um, okay. No doubt about it. And I've had it. Here's the thing. I've lived in Charlotte and Chicago, and I've had the Pac-12 Network since its inception. I've always had the Pac-12 Network. When I was watching a lot more college baseball, it was my go-to for college baseball because they always had it on. Same with softball. And so I get very frustrated at night. And obviously this happened last week where fans are saying that, oh, it'd be a cool game if I could even watch it. And I was like, <laughs> if you wanted to watch it, you'd have the channel. And I understand there could be some cost prohibitive things here. I'm not I'm not going to pretend like there are. Um, if you have to switch from Dish or switch from DirecTV or whatever it is, I understand that it can be cost prohibitive. Cable sometimes can be cost prohibitive. I understand that. You're trying to cut. But here's what I'm saying. If you wanted it, you'd have it. Because if you like... You want to cut the cord, but you still have Netflix or you still have Hulu and you still have YouTube TV and you still have, you know, Amazon. You still have all these things. Right. You're you're paying a bill. But you want to complain because you think that these games should be free. You want them to give it away for free. And that's not the way that it works. And obviously there's issues with the distribution and there's some issues with Larry Scott, his with the former commissioner, Larry Scott's decision making and all those things. But I've never not had it. And obviously I I need it for work, but it's a really, I love it. It's, it's, they do everything really, really well. And it's not just a vehicle to get you to watch, uh, you know, Paul Feinbaum, you know, like it's not just a vehicle to get you to watch some other studio show or radio show. They really care about the athletes in the conference and the promotion of the conference and the promotion of the actual athletes in that conference. And I, and by the way, their football in 60, you can't beat it.
1: Wow. All right, Oregon State almost took down a giant last week. They should have. Can they do it on the road against the Utes?
2: Not in Rice Eccles. Not in Rice Eccles. That place is a nightmare. It that that is one of the hardest places to play in all of America. I I don't think they're gonna get the job done. I don't I think they come in licking their wounds. I'm not gonna say they feel sorry for themselves. Um, I feel sorry for them because they should have won that football game for sure, but they couldn't get they couldn't close the door on USC. Um, let me ask you, What are you, coming out of that game, how do you feel about USC?
1: Uh, not great. Our show's talked a lot about USC getting a lot of breaks, and they've made a lot of breaks, but their uh, takeaway ratio is amazing. They're, listen, they they rebuilt in, in a big way one side of the ball. They couldn't do both sides of the ball, so defensively they have holes.
2: Yeah, big holes defensively. Yeah. And the, when they scored that touchdown with under four to go, I think it was for Oregon State, I was like, okay, you did it. Let's go. And then not being able to get a stop is frustrating, but that's kind of the magic of Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams kind of coming together as a package deal, right?
1: Last one. Michigan, Iowa. Can Iowa hang in this game? They looked a little better offensively. I mean, Rutgers has no quarterbacks right now, so uh, their defense right. dominated. What do you think? Michigan's lane 11 against Iowa.
2: I don't know, man. I think this is going to be an ugly football game. Really? It's okay. between two coaches that neither one of them wants to – they want to score one touchdown and be done for right. the football game. Right, right, right. So this is going to be, I don't know what this looks like. I think Iowa's defense isn't where they were a season ago, uh, but they're still very good. They're still very disciplined. And that's going to be the part that's going to be really interesting is can Michigan do enough with JJ McCarthy as a run threat with obviously Blake Corum who had a monster game. Um, can they do enough to confuse Iowa and create explosive plays? That's the part I'm really looking forward to. Um, the other thing for me Iowa's offenses, they're bad. They're so bad. And it just – they just are continuing to be bad. And I'm very curious to see a guy that I really like, uh, Mike Sanders still, uh, move from wide receiver to safety for for Michigan. and made some critical plays against Maryland. And I'm very curious to watch what he does against an Iowa team that is still trying to figure out even who they are offensively because this team, they will not throw the ball down the field. Uh, they call the same play over and over again. And it's just going to be – I mean – if you're Michigan, you know that they're going to run the ball between the tackles and you also understand that they are going to do whatever they can to just get a first down. Everything they do is just for a first down. Everything beyond the first down, you probably don't even have to cover.
1: Search the Varsity Network on the internet to find uh, Michael Felder's work on the uh, Learfield podcast.
0: Mike, we appreciate it. Enjoy week five.
2: Dude, it's always great. Thanks so much. Daily happy hour
0: specials from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., including 277 for pint shots and margaritas at the William Hill Race and Sports Book inside Silver Sevens. Hooray! Let's go. The Football Frenzy. Hey, so down there? The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company.
1: The Frenzy is here. We'll get to it in just a minute. Let's do some giveaways. John Von Tobel is going to be hosting the Silver and Black After Party. It's after every home Raiders game. Yeah. Walk across the street from Allegiant over to Crazy Horse 3. It's Crazy Horse 3. We've got three VIP tables to give away here. Callers 6, 7, and 8, 364-1100, 364-1100. Ari's got your hookup. Great spot. JBT is hosting the After Party at Crazy Horse 3. VIP treatment going out right now, 364 364- Eleven hundred. I wanted to finish up on something that we didn't get to hit about twenty five minutes ago with Xavier Pope, and that was his food take of the week on Twitter. Okay, it turns out he's an anti-rancher. Well, Very also- anti-ranch. He's also a, a staunch anti-carrot kicker. Well,
3: he's a vegan.
1: His ranch That's- not vegan.
3: Well, no, it's got dairy in it. That's a good point. But I don't
1: think – isn't that like a next-level vegan?
3: Well, no. So if he's vegan, that means no animal products at all. Okay. Vegetarian means you can have some animal products. All right. Um, As I always make the joke, I always think a pescatarian sounds like a religion, but it's not. Uh, That's all fish. Yep. Uh, Look, I'm very pro-ranch, but not like over-the-top ranch guy. Like, I like it over blue cheese. Um, every once in a while, I think it matches well with pizza. Oh. But no, like, uh, tr- trust me. It's like <laughs> if I have pizza like 10 times, once out of the 10 times, I'll put ranch on the pizza, and it's like a little dip, and that's about it. Um, but, like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm in the ranch camp. It's got to be certain ranches, though. I'll what tell you-, you. I can give you my power rankings of ranches at certain uh, places because not all
1: ranch tastes the same. Because no, some places make their own ranch. Let me, let me see how this makes you feel. Saw a tweet. We live in an age of unprecedented options in food pairings, spices that countless people fought and died for can now be picked up at the store for pocket change. We can order a feast that would have brought kings to tears right. with the push of a few buttons, and people choose ranch. <laughs> it's a good tweet or whatever it is. A good one. It's, yeah, it's yeah, a very when good tweet. you think about it,
3: yeah, I like it. But I mean, yeah, I enjoy ranch. I think ranch. Now, I think i tell you where I don't like ranch, actually. I think ranch as a salad dressing is one of the most overrated options. Like, there are so many better options that you can use. For me, ranch is exclusively as a dip, and that's about it. Especially veggie platter, I'm in. Salads, no.
1: So, with Michael Felder just a couple minutes ago when Mike was on live with us, we were talking about attendance and – Listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen with UCLA tomorrow. We're going to talk to Paul Carcaterra from ESPN, who's a sideline reporter on TV, for that game in about 20 minutes. I don't think it'll be well attended, and it's the story all over the West Coast. It's a story in a lot of spots where stadiums are just too big anymore because people make the choice to stay at home and watch on TV, and there's a hassle with parking and tickets and concessions and all that. I thought this one was real interesting. I didn't realize this was happening. I guess it'll Miss... At a lot of their games, people will exit at halftime and just not come back. This was Lane Kiffin. We mentioned this during the Felder discussion. This was Lane Kiffin talking about his fans. Come back out and you run out the tunnel and it looks like a high school game playing in a college stadium. You can't let that affect you. You know, there's psychology to that, obviously. There's a home field advantage for a reason. I'm worried about I can control. I've tried social media in here for two years, so... You know, we'll worry about what we can control, and that's getting our players ready to play. Wow, very mopey. Very mopey. It is. I've tried social media. I'm just desperate at this point. I've
3: done everything that I possibly can, including scheduling really good home games in the non-conference like Troy, Central Arkansas, and Tulsa. Right. That's. I mean, that's probably <laughs> part of the issue. Now, he did say two years, so maybe it's been extending back. I would go out on a limb and say during some of these home games in conference play, you're probably not losing your crowd during the games. I think it's just more of a symptom of, look, non-conference schedule It's just not that important, especially these SEC teams that consistently schedule cupcake opponents so they can rack up the wins early on. If you still have this problem once you get into SEC play and you start taking on some of the better opponents, like this home game against Kentucky coming up, then I think you have something to complain about.
1: Raiders in dire straits at some of the positions on the offensive line. And they already made a trade for a Patriots lineman. Could there be other guys available? PFF was throwing out a trade suggestion for the Raiders to help the O-line.
3: Yeah, Riley Reif uh, was the name that they threw out there. And I'm actually, I think you were kind of going down this path, um, which is I I think we're at the point right now where that's not the concern anymore. Right, like they have the offensive line. You're not really adjusted too much. The pressure numbers aren't out of this world for Carr. If you look at it statistically, it's kind of like the same offensive line as it was last year. Is it one of the best in the NFL? No. And in the grand scheme of things, you need to improve it. Sure, but this year you're not going to you're not going to find a meaningful upgrade out there that's going to make it a top 15 offensive line in the National Football League. I think you're potentially looking at other spots, defensive backfield, maybe. Right, <laughs> that you might want to look. To improve as Man. opposed to offensive line. I thought this was more narrative-driven than anything else. Like you said, they added an the offensive lineman from the Patriots. At this point, look at other places.
1: If they can help the defensive backfield this week. Right. That'd be nice, but they can't. So, Roccasin, beat up, Hobbs, concussion issues. Morg's
3: been out, right? Man. that's So, that's what I think. I, I thought, like, while I get the sentiment behind it, when I read this article, I thought it was more of – if you ask somebody, hey, what's the problem with the Raiders? They'd say one of two things. Derek Carr, the offensive line. And, 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 like, I think more it's about maybe
1: adding some more bodies on the back end of that defense, I think, if you're putting, like, a list of, of needs when it comes to positions. Silver 7's on a Thursday. We got the Bengals and the Dolphins coming up at 5 o'clock. We'll kick off five ten. Uh, the 77-cent beers come out. That's right. Beers for 77 cents. Bud, Bud Light, Ultra. You also want to come down here and play with your A Play card. Basically, seven days a week, they've got some promotion or giveaway, including Wednesdays with the great gas card giveaway from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night. Every 15 minutes,
0: another $50 gas card goes out here at Silver Sevens. Join Cofield and Company on Mondays for the live two to five show at Twin Peaks in Henderson. Big beers for under four bucks. Select appetizers are two, four, and six dollars. Come hang at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football.
1: When you have a really good defense like that, it's never going to be easy. I mean, they got a lot of people that have played for a long time, and they got some guys that are impact players on their defense that haven't played very long but have still made a name for themselves. They really don't have a weakness on defense, which is something that helps them, even though we do know they're a defensive-minded team. Still got to go out there and try to make plays. So I wouldn't call it easier, but, I mean, it narrows our focus on offense down for sure.
0: Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield & Company. Devontae Adams there as we move
1: past the halfway point of Cofield and Company. We're uh, off at 5 for Thursday Night Football on ESPN Las Vegas. Hang with us here at Silver 7's. Bottles of Bud, Bud Light, Mick Ultra, just 77 cents. All right, let's talk a little baseball because it happened last night. I know Adam Hill was rooting against it with Aaron Judge hitting 61st. So Aaron Judge sets the, or ties, the Yankee all-time single season record and also ties for the AL Record, but the, a lot of the talk last night was what John? It's not. The, that's the true record. That's the true record. I saw <laughs> you respond on Twitter by saying what? <laughs>
3: so Rolling Stone tweets out. And that, that was kind of. I know Rolling Stone does a lot, but I just found it odd. They tweet out an article link, and it was like Aaron Judge ties the real home run record. To which I responded, He had thirteen home runs tonight. That's insane. That's a crazy. Won the MVP tonight as well. So I've I've decided. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I told you I didn't really care. I care now. Apparently you do, yes. I care now. Cause we,
1: and I do because we talk about it every day. But a lot of it is the reaction from people who are really stuck on the Royd era. And then we can go even further back, which I don't know why Roger Maris' family has to speak on this right. and stir the pot. Just be happy your dad's being mentioned again. He had an all-time great season. I don't think he was on anything, although the 61 was very much an outlier. In his career, Roger Maris Jr. says Aaron Judge, quote, should be revered for being the actual single-season home run champ if he reaches 62 homers and that the feats of Maguire, Sosa, and Bonds were, quote, illegitimate. Hmm. Why do we have to keep doing this?
3: I don't know, and this is why I've decided. I've I've chosen my camp. I've planted my flag. I've dug in. 73 is the real record. All of you annoying people out there, no, I'm done. Because you're the most annoying camp. That's what the thing is. Like, did you see the, you know, the 70s sports account uh, up on Twitter? And it tweeted out a picture of Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire. Like, tonight should matter more, but it doesn't thanks to these a-holes. They weren't the only three steroid users of their era. That's the other thing that blows my mind. You, 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 when you listen to them talk, you don't think that a single one of those pitchers they were facing... We're doing anything? As somebody called it the great era of back acne? Like, come on, dude. That camp is annoying. So you know what? Aaron Judge, you're not even close to the record, bud. Seventy-three is the real number. And nobody's ever gonna break it. Those are some great baseball players. I'm in.
1: Now you care. Yep, now you I care. I, after I, I pointed to uh the T V screen in the studio about ten days ago when uh Kornheiser and Will Bond were on and you know <laughs> they they played on an older audience, and they were, hey, who's the home run king? And I'm like, are we really doing this? And now, because there's been so much banging on the... You know, I I addressed this with Xavier Pope. What is the steroid here? Like, what do you think it really was? I mean, What I think, years? I don't know. I think it's still going on. That, I don't doubt that it is going on. And I, I pointed out 35 minutes ago, I think it started in 82 or 83. Yeah. And I have no idea if... You know, Brian Downing or Lance Parrish or some of these guys who are absolutely muscle trucks in an era where really there weren't a lot of big, muscly guys. Um, certainly, 87 was a gigantic home run year. Uh, it seems like it was around then. Um, I, I don't know if they ever stamped it out because I don't know what the pitchers are doing. Because I see pitchers now who are complete outliers. Guys come from out of nowhere and you're like, wait, 99 miles an hour. This guy was maxing out at 93 a year ago. What the hell's going on here? He's got, like, rippled
3: forearms, and you're just like like, just, just like a truck.
1: This so this so plays to whatever baseball era. You know what? Screw it. I'm out on that. That's huh. not even a good take, what I was going to say. Like, I'm, just, I'm getting so agitated by this whole freaking thing. How about we do this? Why don't we plant this flag? Because if we're going to have qualifiers on different eras and who hit home runs, why don't we do this one? Let's go with judge is now tied for second with maris for the all-time white home run king because over the years the sport has changed and in 1961 they didn't really welcome a lot of guys into baseball and while hispanics and african americans were welcome they really weren't because back in 1961 baseball was 82 percent white and less than 10 percent, you know each with blacks and latinos now Now that we've opened the game to the world, and frankly, the most passionate, best baseball-playing countries based on their population are a lot of the Latino countries now, as opposed to 61 when it was almost 83% white. It's actually 58% white, and the diversity has now led to the game being a worldwide sport. Uh, Asians still only make up 3% of the sport. Uh, African-American actually is down from a high of like 17% in the late 60s or early 70s. But uh, African Americans, seven percent. Latinos make up thirty-two percent of the game now. What if they'd actually allowed Latinos in the game? Right. Went, you know, at, in a big number. There was, I just said, you know, about seven percent at the time. So we want to do this. We're gonna have a qualifier for every freaking era. It's so childish. Use some imagination. If you're the best of your era, then you deserve to be honored as one of the best all time. And Barry Bonds is the all-time home run king. He hit seventy-three.
3: Yep. I would completely agree. It is foolish to think – it is dumb that those three get blamed for the sins of an era. Just where those three. While
1: other guys, pitchers and hitters, are in the Hall of Fame, yep. and people are actually stupid enough to be like, oh, they were clean. Yeah. Like, Read some of the reports. Read the Mitchell report. What happened to the list of 109 players that tested positive back in the early 2000s and baseball only chose – because that's what they do. They choose – only chose to leak the name – of Alex Rodriguez, and eventually David Ortiz was leaked, but that like that one what? didn't what? count apparently. What? Yeah. He did? Oh, yeah, clean guy. Another one whose Shocking. career arc was lefty, you know, dump truck, 20-homer guy to all of a sudden, you know, 320, 58 home runs. Like, uh, oh, I wonder what changed. By the way, you kind of buried the lead a little bit with Maris. 39 home runs was his
3: previous career high, yeah. and then he just erupts for 61 out of nowhere. And then
1: after that, barely touches 30 <laughs> Oh, okay. Good for, good for Raj, though. Right. And, there, hey, there were other guys who had careers like that, and a lot of them were in the steroid era. Brady Anderson all of a sudden hitting 57 home runs was crazy. Brett Boone going from 12-homer guy to freaking 40-homer guy. Like, you figure something is up. But go back and look at baseball history in that era from 83 to, like, 2010, 2011, 2012, and look at how many dudes came from out of nowhere, had a three-year run, and then fell right back off.
3: You can, you can
1: speak to this better
3: than I can. I would assume part of what's going on with, like what we have done for so
1: long now with Bonds and all these guys, is their likability as well. Is it not? Like 100%. As, as people, hundred percent. Aaron Judge is smart enough to not, you know, be a villain, say anything stupid. Right. Um, you know, McGuire was kind of a natural villain. He was he was a little bit testy. Um, and I, I don't know. Chicago fans always hated Sammy Sosa. Maybe too much flair in his game. And Bonds, yeah, I mean too much flair. But no one's going to yeah. defend Bonds. We will love the coded
3: language of too much flair for Sammy Sosa.
1: I know, just you I know tried to mean? use that one. Yeah, of course. I mean, he, the the, uh, the Tribune Company owned the Cubs, and they they routinely had writers just destroying them. You own the team, and they they weren't even on board. Like we gotta, we still have to make him a villain and make our money.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Field,
1: Silver 7s, Mateo helping out. College football, another week starts up tonight. Utah State, I was uh, in Logan last week. Popping. They did not look good. Very undisciplined kind of fraying at the edges. We'll see how they react against rival BYU. UCLA and Washington are part of a big Friday night slate, and Paul Carcaterra is one of the announcers for ESPN. He's doing sidelines at the Rose Bowl, and he's on the horn with us right now. Paul, how you doing?
4: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
1: Are you an L.A. guy?
4: Uh, eh. Nah. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I-, I was born in the Bronx. In New York, so, yes, no, yes. I'm I'm New York through and through. I like L.A., I just, uh, I don't know, I'm, you know, like, it's in your DNA where you're from, and you just, the food the culture of your home just always resonates a little bit more than, than when you travel to places throughout the country, but I appreciate it, and I'll tell you what, man, the weather here is amazing, yeah. basically 365 days a year, so I have to ask myself, like, why haven't you tried living here?
1: Uh, there's a lot of reasons not to live there. First and foremost is the traffic, and I'm actually born in the same area as you, but in Jersey, so I guess my, I'll open myself up to jokes, but I thought traffic there was bad. L.A. is a living hell. Every time I go there, I feel like I'm in, oh, you know, I'm not, it's either bumper to bumper, or it's like a Grand Prix. It's a it's a freaking scary place.
4: Yeah, not to mention, I was uh, head, headed over to UCLA's practice and met with Coach Kelly today who was great with uh with us and Andre Ware, we stopped at a uh, at a convenient market. I just wanted to grab something to drink quick. Right. And uh, the gas gas is like seven bucks, so he's taking a I picture know.
1: of it. <laughs> it's great it's crazy. Now, let's come back on the positive of LA. Uh, for anyone who's been to the UCLA campus, my God, that place is unbelievable.
4: It is. Beautiful. And their new football facility. Well, I, I don't know if it's new, but I think it was built in 2017, the Wasserman football facility is sweet, and they have a great setup. Like, they have a almost like half outdoor weight room. The way that it <laughs> flushes out to the stadium, or I mean the field, the practice field, is, is pretty marvelous. So, like, the, the whole the whole setup there is thick, and the campus, like you said, is, is phenomenal. It's a great school, too.
1: They're out to a great start. Uh, the one thing they're really struggling with is attendance. Do you have any word? I I know they've been trying to do a lot of promotional tickets. I hear the complaints, hey, the Rose Bowl is too far from campus. I wonder who's going to show up and how big the number is because it's been a struggle early in L.A. for folks to get out to UCLA games.
4: Yeah, well, you know, you talk about the traffic. I think that scares half the people because on a good day with no traffic, UCLA to the Rose Bowl is like, you know, 40 minutes. With traffic, it can be two, three hours. So the the Friday night – Night game probably not advantageous for people winging it and heading up to the Rose Bowl. I will say this though: classes didn't start until this week, so they didn't have the student body on campus. So I think 4 four zero creates a little bit more of a buzz. I've heard they've done a better job with uh, with tickets for this week. But yeah, I've seen those pictures. You seen the pictures of the first few games?
1: Crazy, yeah. It's. I mean, you're talking about uh, seating there. I think it's down to 53,000, and I swear there's not more than 5,000 people at some of these games.
4: Yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, it's the same thing as Miami. It kind of it reminds me a little bit of Miami West in terms of, like, the, the stadium's not on campus. It's hard for the student body to get behind it. Uh, but regardless, like you said, they're off to a great start. I think they have pieces, too. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson... Has really matured as a quarterback. He's playing his best ball uh, since he arrived on campus five years ago. and He's passing at seventy four percent completion rate. So like he's he's understanding all of his weapons, and he's got a couple of uh, of transfers, headlined by Jake Bobo, the kid from Duke, who's a fifth year grad transfer, six foot five, long rangey guy, led the ACC in receptions a year ago. So he's a proven quantity and uh i just think dorian thompson robinson's finding him and a bunch of other guys and, and charbonnet at running back has just made this a balanced offense with a quarterback who knows the scheme and system and who could certainly run when plays break down and then you have bobo on the outside so they, they have pieces
3: so what do you make their opponent uh, on friday because i think there's a really strong argument to be made that washington has not Really been tested by quality competition. Michigan State's in a little bit of a down year. They got smoked by Minnesota over the weekend. Uh, but you get Michael Panix, who reunites with Kellen DeBoer. Like, it looks like it's a pretty good match. What do you make of the Huskies through the early portion of the schedule?
4: I really like them. And when you talk to their players, which I did this week, and their coaching staff, like, they believe in De DeBoer. Like, that guy's a man of the people. Like, he is not a football coach that puts himself on a higher pedestal. Like, every single player on that team finds him to be approachable. He has these guys believing. Uh, the, the familiarity with, with Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix goes back to Michael Penix's freshman year at Indiana. When he played a bunch of games, the offensive coordinator was Kalen DeBoer. So like he knows that system. Penix has played in the same system for the last four years. So he's super comfortable. I think this is a scary team, to be honest with you. They have They've had four wide receivers with 100-yard games this season. So they're multiple on the outside. They've got burners. Uh, This is a team that, like I said, believes in themselves. I I think this is going to be an awesome game. I really do. I think the big question for UCLA is can they buckle down and play defense? I think UCLA can score against everyone they play against. I just don't know if they can stop a team Like Washington, who has all those pieces, they're very explosive on the edge, and they believe in themselves too. Like this is a team that is having a lot of fun together. Uh, They're clicking on all cylinders, and and they play defense. Like they play defense, they get after the quarterback too. Last week, they sacked Stanford eight times. Eight times they got to him. So, like you got to understand, they're coming on the edges hard. Braylon Trice is a, a relentless pass rusher, so. Their defense, I think, is a little bit more proven than UCLA's. That's probably why you give them a slight edge. Um, but this is a game that I think is going to be a, a, an awesome first game in the Pac-12 uh, for UCLA for sure.
3: So in the grand scheme of things, then, where do you think Washington stacks up? It's pretty clear USC and Utah are in a little tier of their own, and they don't get to face either one of them on the regular season schedule. They do get Oregon later in November. Uh, do you Are they the third-best team, and what's the gap between them and the two teams at the top?
4: I think they're the third-best team right now. I also think UCLA could beat them tomorrow night. But I, I feel like Washington is, is complete. Like, when you look at them, they don't really have too many weaknesses. Um, you know, USC, you know, has, has all the pieces, and they bring in these huge transfers. But I, I think on the line, Washington can hang with, with USC. I really do. I think in the trenches, offensive line, defensive line, you know, I think USC has has all that speed on the outside, and obviously their quarterback is one of the tops in the country. Um, but but I feel like the trenches and you know their front seven on defense can, can hang with with, with Utah uh, and and USC. I think USC is obviously the most explosive uh, team in the country, playmaker wise. Um, but I think I think Washington is is a team that if you know if if, if they were to face one of those two teams that you mentioned. Uh, they could beat them because belief is a is a crazy thing in sports. And I think this team really, really believes in themselves. Uh, they love their head coach. They love their staff. Uh, Kalen DeBoer is a, a, a guy that I think you're going to be hearing about quite a bit. Like Washington got lucky to get him. I also think it's a great spot for him. So that match is, is going to be strong for many years.
1: The voice of Paul Carcaterra on Cofield & Company here on ESPN Las Vegas. Paul is working the sidelines for UCLA and Washington tomorrow night. So I was looking back at the games that you've covered so far. These may be the two best teams that you'll have a chance to see up close. Through the first four games who was the best team you watched? Was it Florida State? Was it Syracuse? Central Florida? Maybe Louisville?
4: You know, I I thought the Louisville-Florida State game was was awesome. Uh, Florida State When Jordan Travis is in the game, I think, you know, he only played a half. He got hurt in that game. I think they're a scary team. I mean, they beat LSU uh, early in the season. So I think Florida State right now is is a team. uh, They were lucky to get that Louisville win. Like, Louisville will turn on that tape and say, how did we let this one go? Florida State had their backup quarterback. He did a nice job to get the W. But that game was very winnable for for Louisville. But I'd have to say Florida State uh, because I think Jordan Travis, I think it was Tom Luganville from the ESPN. He made a good point, too. I was, was listening to him. Uh, he thinks Jordan Travis is the most improved player in college football. And I have a hard time arguing against that. I think this guy's playing great football. He's obviously been dinged up a little bit uh, with the lower body injury against Louisville. Uh, you know, and, and Syracuse is undefeated, but I, I just feel like they've, they've had a, a few breaks. Early in the season, I think Purdue with the late penalties in that fourth quarter, uh, geez, it looked like you know Purdue after the go-ahead touchdown was kicking from literally like I don't know their own ten-yard line. So, Cuse got it at the fifty to have that winning drive, um, and you know the penalties there just just gave Syracuse some life. And then I think last week they capitalized on some some really uh, bad decision making by Brennan Armstrong and the Virginia offense too. So obviously, this is a its a great year from there for them. I went there. I'm rooting for them. But they're not at that level. I don't think of a, of a Florida State, Washington, or a UCLA.
1: Paul Carcaterra is with us now. Paul just mentioned he went to Syracuse. Now, hold off. Uh, he's not some dork like myself in JVT. This guy was an all-time athlete uh, <laughs> playing lacrosse, awesome lacrosse player. Um, what do you like covering more? Do you like being on the field, you know, in the mix with football, or do you still love lacrosse? just covering it much more
4: yeah you know for for me i think the atmospheres for for college football are unmatched you know like the the adrenaline rush right before a kick and the warm-ups like everything just feels so so big lacrosse for me though it's in my dna i think about it i talk about it 365 days a year like i literally can call a you know, a, a higher-level lacrosse game. If Virginia was playing, say, North Carolina, I could call that game with the guy's jerseys off. I know every player on the field. So it's, it's a big part of my life. I know a lot of the coaches, some of my best friends are, are college lacrosse coaches. So, like, being entrenched in that community, I just feel like that that's just an extension of me. But event-wise, uh, college football is, is, is unmatched. I, I think unmatched in the country with, with any sport. I mean, the NFL is the... The biggest monster, rating-wise, that we have in this country, sports-wise, but the pageantry for for college football, like it just doesn't get better than that.
1: So tell people what they're going to see with lacrosse because we have a professional team coming here, the Desert Dogs, owned by a bunch of different celebrities. They're going to be playing uh, right off the strip, uh, starting in December. Um, and I, you've been around, you know, pro lacrosse leagues forever as well. What are the fans here going to see?
4: we got a sweet logo, the Desert Dogs. I love, I love, their, I love their logo. Um, what you're going to see is you're, you're, you're watching the, the box lacrosse uh, edition of, of the sport of lacrosse. There's, there's, two, there's two variations of, of lacrosse. There's the outdoor game, which I cover on the college front. That's uh, a big part of uh, you know, the United States in terms of the way that they identify themselves as lacrosse players. In Canada... Uh, box lacrosse is huge I mean it's, it's a crossover sport for so many hockey players I mean people don't realize the, the national sport for Canada is not hockey' it's lacrosse and they've had amazing hockey players play lacrosse as their as their other sport guys like Wayne Gretzky um, there's just there's just so many unbelievable pro hockey players that if you go back and you see they played lacrosse so you're gonna see the box lacrosse the indoor indoor version and it's it's awesome it's it's high scoring it's crazy contact there, there is some fights like hockey um, I would say box lacrosse because it's played in tight quarters and played on the, the size of a hockey rink with turf on the bottom um, it's way more of a of a hybrid lacrosse version um, of the sport you know with so many hockey elements but you see a lot of basketball aspects too there's a lot of two-man games there's a lot of pick and rolls on the box lacrosse inside um, offensive game and, and it's very very physical uh, you're you're gonna you guys are gonna love it, man. In the indoor league, the NLL does a fantastic job of of really promoting it and putting fans in the seats, and it's a great game day atmosphere. Uh, I love it. You'll see a lot of Canadian athletes on on the roster, um, but there's more and more Americans uh, playing box lacrosse as well, um, and we see so many of these Canadians dominate the, the college ranks and in the u.s too because of their stick skills and, and how crafty and, and their overall talent level is is off the charts
1: paul that was awesome man we appreciate a couple minutes we're up against it enjoy the game uh at the rose bowl and you know try to make it a good trip with la you can embrace la a little bit please yeah,
4: I, look whoa 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 i like LA. <laughs> it uh, you know I, i'm not coming out here for like a chicken parm and meatballs And no. you know i just no. couldn't i couldn't see if i lived here i wouldn't be eating dinner at Two o'clock on a Sunday, like like I did when I grew up. And you know, now, uh, that's all.
1: You know, Turtle, the character Turtle, actually owns a place that serves those fat sandwiches that actually are kind of famous in the Northeast. So, if you can find the place, maybe I'll I'll text yeah, man, to you. I'll think, text to. you I think
4: of food twenty four seven. So I might it's, take you up
1: on that. It's a slice of home. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Four o'clock hour is on the way. Live at Silver Sevens.